Good evening, how we doing? Yeah? Good deal. Uh, let's go First uh, Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 will be hanging out there uh, tonight. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I want you to think of like the first name that comes to mind, or I guess like what name comes to mind uh, when you think of the word honorable. When you think of like someone who is worthy of honor, like what is the, the, the name that comes to mind, I, uh, I pulled our Life Stage 2 staff this, this week to kind of see what other people thought. And so I had, had some cool answers. Uh, for instance, Connor uh, said William Wallace. Uh, so uh, obviously from Braveheart. Uh, so William Wallace, a guy who, who died trying to uh, secure freedom for Scotland. Um, definitely an honorable guy. Uh, Hillary said uh, Martin Luther King. Junior, obviously an uh, incredibly uh, honorable guy, like went to great lengths and, and even lost his life for uh, the cause of civil rights. Uh, somebody else said, or, oh yeah, Carly said uh, Louis Zamperini, which, what a G. Like that dude is awesome. So uh, if, if you saw the movie Unbroken, that's a story about his, his life. I mean, a phenomenal story, a guy who was in uh, the Air Force during World War II, uh, uh, his plane crashed. He survived 47 days in open sea, got uh, picked up, spent a long time in a, a, a POW camp, and just incredible story. Uh, Kristen Hines said Harriet Tubman, uh, who is for sure an honorable person. Uh, if, if you don't know her story, she was born a slave, escaped uh, through the Underground Railroad, helped 70 other slaves experience uh, Freedom went on to be an armed spy during the Civil War and went on to do uh, incredible stuff in the women's suffrage. Uh, and lastly, Ben said, uh, the guy from the Verizon commercial who helps you get the best deal on cell service. Um, so obviously, all these people fit in the category of honorable, right? And so the question is, what do you notice to be the common thread between all these people that we might consider to be honorable people? was the fact that they've all done something worth honoring, right? We consider them to be honorable people because they've done something that, that we say that is uh, worth honoring, right? So either they, they fought for freedom, they fought for um, people's rights, they, they lost their lives, they, they, they did um, all these things. They, uh, they work really hard to make sure that everyone knows that Verizon has the largest, most reliable 4G LTE network in the U.S., right? Like, they, 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 they do all these things that, that, that we see and say that is worthy of honor, that is worthy of respect, right? Now, I think that we can all agree that from a cult cultural standpoint, our culture has, has no problem honoring people who are worthy of honor. We have no problem honoring people who have done something that we say that is worthy of respect. But as I was reading our text for this week, I, I came across something that uh, is actually pretty countercultural. It's the fact that uh, one of the things that sets us apart as believers, if you are a, a child of God, if you are a follower of Christ in this room, what sets us apart is that we are specifically called not just to honor people who do things worthy of honor, but we're actually called to honor the people that are unworthy of honor. But we are called to honor people that don't deserve honor, that don't deserve respect from a cultural standpoint. We are called to go above and beyond and honor those that are unworthy of honor. Now, the question should be, why? why like, why would we ever want to honor people that have done nothing to deserve it? Why would we ever want to uh, respect people who have done nothing to deserve that, right? 
And so that's actually the question that we're going to answer tonight, that if, if we are a, a people who are, um, or at least should be marked by honoring people um, to the extent that even people who don't even deserve honor, why would we ever, ever do that? So uh, with that being said, let's uh, dive in. Let's go 1 Peter 2. We'll start in verse 11. Peter writes this. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, start right there. Um, so Peter starts off by saying, hey, um, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, right? Um, he starts off by, by making it very, very clear that um, the people that he is talk, talking to have this kind of exile status. Now, I, I want to clarify something that's really important for us to, to know going forward. Um, odds are, uh, Peter's not talking to people who are actual literal exiles, um, meaning that, that they probably aren't people who have, been, uh, who have, who have fled their homes and seek or in search of uh, refuge, right? Um, and we think, think that because scholars agree that uh, this letter was written, uh, if, if I can get nerdy for a second, um, this was written during either the reign of Nero, Domitian, or Trajan. Um, and while those three people uh, were definitely not fans of Christians, um, none of those three guys instituted some kind of empire-wide persecution. They, they didn't institute some kind of um, giant governmental policy to persecute Christians, but they did kind of feed some negative narratives about believers, and so a lot of the persecution and the martyrdom was localized. And so, so odds are these people are, are not people who have been um, driven from their homes, and so what's he talking about? He's talking about this idea that we are spiritual exiles, that if you are a follower of Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so what happens is that you are now living in a city or in a country that is not your home, right? Because this earth is not our home. Our home is with the Lord. We are citizens of heaven. So we are spiritual exiles, right? And so he says, hey, as exiles, since you are exiles, I want you to live in a way among those who are locals, who are natives I want you to live in a way that you are honorable in your conduct. I want you to be honorable in the way that you interact with those who are not fellow exiles. And for me, I hear that and I think, all right, why? Like, why does that matter? If we're exiles, if we're sojourners, if we're strangers in a foreign land and we're just passing through, then why does it really matter if our conduct looks a certain way? Why does it matter if we interact a certain way with the people who live here? And there's a very uh, specific answer for it. And it's the fact that honor changes the narrative. Honor changes the narrative. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, insiders always tend to write narratives about outsiders, right? Culturally speaking, those who are on the inside, those who are considered uh, locals, um, always write narratives about people that are from the outside, right? Um, because we, that's just kind of what we do. We just try to make sense of, I, I don't understand you, you're strange, you're different from me, so how do I make sense of our differences? And so we just kind of write these narratives that, that try to make sense, and, and oftentimes those narratives tend to be negative, right? So um, if I were to just like list off um, a 
people group that has immigrated to the U.S., odds are you could tell me what the stereotype is about that people group, right? Whether you believe it or not, whether you believe that stereotype to be true, you could probably tell me what the cultural stereotype of that people group is because we all tend to write these narratives about those who are on the outside, right? Um, and so that's what's happening here. There, there's this narrative that has been created about the Christians where people see them and, and they say there's something different, there's something strange. You aren't like us. You don't engage the world the same way that we do. And so there's some kind of narrative that is being created. And so what Peter says specifically um, here in verse, verse 12 is he says, hey, uh, live in a way that is honorable so that so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God, right? Now, why on earth would anybody speak against Christians as an evildoer, right? Like, if we're truly following Christ, like, like Christ was marked by compassion and grace and love and, and mercy. Why, why would we ever be seen as evildoers? It's because there was a narrative that was being created, right? And so what he is saying is, hey, if you want to change this narrative, if you want to change the narrative about you, but more specifically about our king, about the king that we follow, the king that we love, the king that we want every other person to know, if we want to change the narrative so that people can marvel and glorify our king, you have to live in a very specific way. You have to live in a way where your conduct is honorable. More specifically, as what Peter's about to tell us, is that we need to live in a way that we honor those who are unworthy of honor. We honor those who are unworthy of honor. And so the question is, man, how do we do that? Like, how do we live in a way with such honor that it completely changes a narrative about us as a people group? Um, it's a great question. So um, Peter's going to kind of give us two specific um, char charges of how to honor those who are unworthy of honor. The first, he's going to talk about the government. And second, he's going to talk about uh, bosses or those who employ others. So let's break these He's down. Let's start with um, government. This is verse 13. He, he, he goes on to say, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So his, his charge and his call for us right here is very specific. He says, hey, you are to, 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 to respect, you are to honor those who are in authority over you from a governmental standpoint. Um, you are to, to honor them in a way, um, and, and notice again, so that so that um, you silence this, this, uh, this, this ignorance, this foolish talk, right? That you put a, an end to that, that you change the narrative, right? That's what he's saying. And so um, I don't want us to, to lose sight of the gravity of what he's calling us to, right? Um, because when he's talking to these people, he's talking to people who, who are living in a world where the very government he's telling them to honor, the very emperor that he's telling them to honor is very much against them, right? So again, like a lot of these guys didn't create some kind of um, empire-wide institution of persecution, but they were very active in creating negative narratives about the followers of Jesus, right? So um, prime, prime example, uh, Nero. 
during Nero's reign, um, uh, there was this massive fire that took out a lot of Rome, and it was this economic disaster, and everybody in Rome was very upset about this fire. And there was a rumor that was circulating that Nero himself was the arsonist, that he was the guy who set this whole thing on fire. There were stories about him, like, sitting back and, like, singing songs and, like, watching it burn. And and so everyone was really upset that that Nero might have set this fire to the city and caused this crazy economic catastrophe, right? Well, Nero, not wanting to be seen as an arsonist, um, he decided, you know what, there's this group of people called Christians, and they're kind of strange, and, 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 and they don't have a lot of favor. People, people kind of think they're odd. I'm going to blame it on them. And so Nero blames this fire on Christians, right? So again, he didn't institute any kind of persecution, but what he did is he created a narrative that led others to persecute other believers. So if you're a a, a Christian who, who's hearing this, if you're reading this letter, all of a sudden you're thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me to honor that guy? You're, you're, you're telling me to respect that guy. Like the guy who is creating these false stories about us, who is blaming fires on us, who is turning the whole nation against us. You're, you want us to honor them? But they're not, they're not worthy of honor. He's not worthy of honor. It says... I know, but I want you to honor them anyway because when you honor them, when you show respect, man, that changes the narrative. People get to, to put to silence this, this ignorance that, that these foolish people have because all of a sudden if they have this narrative about you and then they interact with you and all they see is someone who is just crazy respectful, crazy honorable, crazy uh, just loving others to the point, then the narrative changes. All of a sudden, it's like, well, I, I don't think that's right about the Christians because I interacted with those people, and they're not like that, right? All of a sudden, that narrative changes. Now, for us, I, I don't think we're really all that far removed because if we're honest, I think believers kind of still have a, a PR problem from a cultural standpoint today, Right? Like, if you were to ask the average person who, who's not a Christ follower, hey, like, what are your thoughts on Christians? The narrative probably hasn't changed a whole lot. Odds are, if you ask some, some random guy on the street, he's probably not going to say, dude, I love those guys. I love, man, Christians are the best. They're so kind and generous. They're phenomenal listeners. They're really good with opposing viewpoints. And, I um, mean, I always feel really heard. And, dude, they're so consistent, too. Like, they look just like that Jesus guy who they claim to, to follow. Man, they're, they're awesome. They are, dude, they are the best. Probably not, right? Odds are the narrative is, man, they're kind of judgmental. Kind of inconsistent. They're kind of hypocritical. They're kind of arrogant. They're pretty narrow-minded. They 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 like to talk at me, but they don't like to listen to my side of the story. And I don't, I don't know, man. They they kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth. That that's tip, typically the narrative that Christians have, right? And so what he's saying is, hey, one of the ways that you can begin to change that narrative, and, and again, not just to change the narrative about, about us, but to change the narrative so that it changes people's view of our king, of our God, of the one that we follow. The way that you do that is you just, you just honor people. And a great way to start is honoring those who are in authority over us. Now, maybe you hear, hear that, Nick, well, man, what about injustice? What about um, people who are tyrannical? What about people who are immoral? What do you, I mean, how do we, like, do we, do we honor them? It's a great question. 
I think that if you read scripture, what you find is that we are absolutely called to be people who fight to end injustice. We're absolutely called to be people who, who love justice, but we also love mercy and that we fight for the good of others, that we want our, our, our culture to flourish. We, we fight for that. Yet, we can still disagree. We can still uh, fight for those things in a way that brings respect and honor. Like, honoring those in authority doesn't mean that we just turn a blind eye or that we just agree with everything. But there's a way to disagree that brings honor. There's a way to talk about the leaders that we don't agree with in a way that uh, provides dignity to who they are because we understand as followers of Christ that they are men and women created in the image of God. And anyone created in the image of God is worthy of respect and honor because they're fellow image bearers. And so for us, man, if we can get to a place where we begin to think, okay, how can I honor those in authority over me? My, 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 my leaders, the, the politicians that I think are corrupt or whatever it is that you think. And how can I get to a place where I can disagree but I can speak about them in a way that's honoring? And what that does, that begins to change the narrative. The, pe- the people begin to see us and ultimately they see our king in a different light because there's nothing that they can say about us except, man, they... They just really love people well. They speak so highly of people, even, even when they disagree. And that changes that narrative. But there's one other group that he says, hey, this is an, an, another group that we need to, to honor. And it's those, uh, we'll just call them bosses. Uh, let's go to verse 18. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. But what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. I start right there. So um, so we're going to call this bosses. There's a little uh, debate about whether Peter's talking about servants or slaves. Uh, again, just nerdiness, if you care. Uh, he doesn't use the typical Greek word for slave. That's doulos. He uses the word oiketes, um, which is, means uh, someone who dwells in the house of whoever they, they work for. So this could, could be slaves, or it could be someone who's just like an in-home maid or butler or something. All that to say, the point is, this is someone who, who is not in authority, Right? And so odds are, if you are a young adult in this room, you're probably not the authority when you walk into the office. If you are, that's amazing. Kudos to you. Um, You are just a baller. Um, But odds are, we all work for somebody else, right? Now, what he's saying here is the exact same thing. He says, hey, you are to, to honor those who are in authority over you in your workplace. You are to honor your boss. And then he says something really inconvenient. He says, but I don't want you just to honor the ones that are good and gentle, but also the ones that are unjust. And I hate that um, because what he's es- essentially saying is, hey, like, it's easy. It's easy to love, like, the boss and to honor the boss that's good and gentle and awesome. But it's really hard to love the one that's unjust. 
It's really hard to honor the boss that doesn't respect your time. It's really hard to honor the boss that is a, an expert in your weaknesses instead of your strengths. It's really hard to honor the boss that uh, just doesn't seem to know you. It's really hard to honor the boss that's a tyrant. It's hard to honor the boss that's ungrateful. It's hard to honor the boss that just is a horrible leader, right? It's just so hard to honor that person that we see them lead and think, you're not a leader worth following. Because when you work for a person like that, there's something in you that says, I'm not going to honor you because you're not worthy of honor. Now, maybe that's where you are, right? And there's this kind of tug in your heart and you're thinking, man, you don't know my boss. You don't know the kind of work environment that I walk into. Like, my boss is not a good person. My boss is exhausting. My boss just doesn't get it. My boss is a bad leader, right? That may be true. I've, I've had my fair share of that. I, I've worked for guys in the past who, who was, it was just exhausting. And I, I remember when I first started to work, there were guys I would work, work for, and I would think, man, I'm going to just use this as an opportunity to climb the ladder because, like, this dude is, just doesn't get it, right? And it's so hard to honor someone when you deem them unworthy of honor. What Peter's saying is, hey, man, Hey, sister, you, I want you to honor not just the good guys, not just the gentle leaders. I want you to honor the ones that are unjust. I want you to honor the ones that are really, really hard to love. And can I just say, as someone who, who now leads teams, who's, who's now a boss, I drop the ball all the time when it comes to leading people because people are really hard to lead because no one is the same. Everyone is different. Even if you do your like Myers-Briggs and your disc tests and you do all that stuff, like people are different, right? You're just not the same. And so everyone needs different things. And so it's so easy as a leader to just drop the ball. And, and I, I know that I fall short all the time. And because I know, and because I know that I fall short in the moments when I have someone show me grace that I don't deserve, when I have someone who, who honors me despite the fact that I know that I don't deserve it, that they respect me when I know that I haven't earned it, and I can't tell you how overwhelming that is. That changes the narrative, right? And I would imagine if you work for someone who is not a believer, and, and they're aware, and maybe they're not, maybe they're just oblivious, but if they are aware that, hey, I'm not a perfect leader, and that I fall short, when you honor and you respect them, when they're fully aware that they don't deserve it, that's going to make them ask some questions. It's going to make them say, man, thank you so much for showing me grace, because I know where I fall short. Why do you do that? Why are you so gracious and respectful and honoring to me? It changes the narrative, right? And so what Peter is saying is, hey, man, there are so many ways for us to, to, to interact with people as exiles, as strangers in this foreign land. There are so many ways for us to, to, to act and behave and to interact with, with people in such a way that it changes the narrative, not just about us, again, but about our God. It allows people to, to marvel at how amazing our God is simply by the way that we honor and we respect those who are in authority over us. Now, maybe you hear, hear that and you think, I don't know, man, that sounds really hard. And to be honest, I'm not sure if I want to do it. I'm not sure if this is one of those passages that really pertains to me. This is like I must follow, um, so I might just push this off to the side. Um, and if that's you, I want to read one last little chunk um, where Peter kind of lays out for us um, the ultimate reason why we should, and to be honest, this is the trump card. This is verse tw 20, 21. 
It says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So what Peter does is he says, hey, I, I, I get how hard this is. I get that there are going to be people that you interact with that you don't agree with. I get that there are people that, that wound you. There are going to be people that exhaust you. There are going to be people that you look at and you say, you are not worthy of honor. You are not worthy of respect. You do not deserve those things. And what he says is that we have a model that should change how we view those in authority over us. And it's the fact that the king that we've been talk, talking about, the, the person that we follow, he set the pace for showing honor to those who are unworthy of honor. Because as we talk about being an exile, Jesus is the ultimate exile. Right? Jesus left his throne. He left his home and he became an exile. He put on flesh and he walked around on this earth and he lived the life that we couldn't live. But then he did this crazy thing where he allowed his own creation, this creation that rebelled against him. And, and when, they, when they rebel, when we rebel, what we rightfully earn is death. And when he saw his own creation rebel against him, instead of leaving us on our own, he said, no, no, I'm going to go for them. And he came and he took on flesh and he allowed his own creation to mock him, to ridicule him, to spit in his face and to ultimately nail him to a cross. No one took his life. He laid his life down. And I think about this when I think about the crucifixion, but I can't imagine how much strength and how much self-control it takes to sit there watching your own creation mock you, knowing full well that you have every ability to put an end to it. And he says, no, I'm going to honor them. I'm going to honor them. And when he died, he paid for our sins. He covered what we could never do in our own strength. And so now we get right relationship with God. We get to go home. We get to say, hey, this is not my home, but there's a day coming where I get to go home and I get to pull up a seat at the table with my father and we get to reunite face to face. And that was made possible because of Jesus. So if you're in here and there's any part of you that says, I don't want to honor those who are unworthy of honor. One, I get that. That's very natural. But two, I would challenge you that maybe the gospel hasn't done its work in shaping you yet. Maybe there's still some work to be done. Maybe you understand the gospel from an intellectual standpoint, but it hasn't made its way down to your heart where it has shaped the way that you view authority. Because if we truly understand the gospel, if the gospel is transforming us, then it should transform the way that we view authority. When we see people who we deem to be unworthy of honor, we should look at Christ and say, I'm unworthy of honor. I'm unworthy of honor, yet he laid down his life for me. So I'm going to honor, I'm going to respect, I'm going to do that for the people who are in authority over me. So 
again, I don't know where you fall in that, but my hope is that we are a people that when we leave these doors, when people talk about that, that Christ Chapel community, when they talk about that Renovate community, those, those guys who go eat uh, breakfast tacos and do can jam and stuff like that on Wednesday nights, that, that they see them and they say, man, there's something so different. And the narrative isn't, man, they're kind of exclusive, they're kind of weird, they're, they're kind of like, I don't quite understand those Christians, but the narrative is, man, they're so respectful, so honoring. They, they care so deeply about people. They love people so well, even the people who don't, who don't even deserve it, even the people who haven't even earned it. Man, I, I have to know why. The narrative changes. So my hope is that we are people who are so transformed by the gospel that we show honor to those who are unworthy of honor, because when we do, we don't just change the narrative, but we look a lot like our king. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that um, we have a clear model for what it looks like to do this. Um, it's not lost on me how hard it is to, to honor and respect and, and love those who honestly don't deserve it, who have done things, uh, whether it's wound us or insult us or just be lazy. Father, for the moments when we just don't want to show honor, when we don't want to show respect, when we just want people to experience a certain kind of justice, Father, I ask that you change us. You give us to, to, the eyes to see people the way that you see us. That while we were unworthy of honor, while we had done nothing to deserve your love and your respect, you sent your son to die for us. May that be a truth that, and that it stirs us, it, it shapes us, it, it doesn't allow us to stay the same. It brings conviction when we turn to our authorities. And it shapes how we talk about them. It shapes how we interact with them. And it shapes how we ultimately love and respect them. Father, will you do a work in our hearts? Love you. Just let me pray.